What is up, Asymmetry? It's been a hot minute, but we're back. And back with a vengeance. Man, I have wanted to speak with this man for a long time. Uh, He had a huge impression on me in the very beginning of my career coming back from Japan and specifically just the the magical nature of his approach to bonsai, uh, the garden that he and his wife uh, have continued to evolve over the course of time. Ronnie Clemens has been a real staple of North American bonsai, a phenomenal uh, body of knowledge. And together with his wife, Charlie, they've built a magical facility And the two of them have really spread a lot of positivity and and goodness throughout the Bonsai community and had a tremendous impact on a lot of people. And uh, we got to sit down with Rodney today and just talk about life and Bonsai and Boxwoods and all things uh, wonderful about this beautiful tiny tree and art form that we've all invested in. Anyways, uh, if you know him, uh, you'll enjoy it just because of the lovely, uh, wonderful person that he is. And if you don't... uh, this is a treat to get to understand and get the perspective of, of a truly spectacular individual. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Rodney. <laughs> How's it going, Ryan? I've been so looking forward to this, so looking forward to catching up with you, uh, because we tried all year uh, to get you right. here. Obviously, a pandemic has curbed our uh, ability to get to host you at Mirai, but... Uh, you know, six-year-old, and it's his vacation, so we took the liberty of vacationing last night by not going to bed. Wow, six years. That's amazing. Time flies, right? Yeah, time flies. Well, actually, I have to correct course now, because he just turned seven on Friday, so of last week. What? (laughs) Yeah. So, how are you doing? Um, How are you doing with everything? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right, you know, just we just keep moving forward, I guess. Yeah. It's um it's been an interesting year, I think uh uh permission permission to engage with change has uh been granted like on a on a on a grand scale, I think. So uh so we just went ahead and said, "Okay, let's do it." And we've been kind of rolling with it. How are you? How are you and Charlie doing? We're doing great. You know, it's been kind of interesting um you know, if people weren't suffering all over the place, I've actually kind of enjoyed the whole thing. Um, staying at home, I've changed uh, the trees, for instance. I'm not having to weed the garden. I'm, of course, taking care of the trees, but we're letting them grow. A lot of them are just letting them regain strength and everything. And, and so it's the sort of the perspective on things has been kind of interesting. I've been doing things like re-roofing the greenhouse and stuff that I should have been doing all along, but didn't have time so kind of been enjoying myself yeah <laughs> but, you know it's, it's a sad thing out there don't get me wrong yeah yeah there is like that um i think a lot of people are in that boat though uh you know where it's like wow there is a, a permitted stoppage you know there's like a universal stoppage and it's like oh we all right. we all get to stop well not you know not get to we all have to stop but it's like well if we have to stop we can look at it as getting to stop and, and take care of all those things that life is moving too fast to allow us to address. That's true. That's true. And, and, you know, the interesting thing with it all for me is, you know, we, we were prepared for um, the end with our life. We were getting to the point where everything had to be 
taken care of all the bills, all that stuff. We've always paid them up in advance. And so we don't have any of that. So um, all the bonsai tools are here. We got backlog of soil. We, you know, everything's, we have toilet paper. So we're set. <laughs> <laughs> so you were ready for, you, you were more or less uh, prepared and ready for doomsday to just sort of continue on your bonsai journey. Yeah, the bonsai journey was what we were really prepared for. But yeah, the, we we not one of those doomsday people, but um, just having everything low key and living them within your own means yeah. really has paid off with this. Yeah, so. good for you guys. You have such a, you have such a. At least I've only been there once, but I it left a huge impression on me. Your your garden, it just uh, really spoke to me. But it's it felt to me like you were in this like nestled, protected little um you know dwelling inside of the forest uh that that felt very insulated to a degree am i wrong in my impression of that or do you feel like you're pretty pretty insulated where you're at we we um you know we come into our place and um we're, we feel like it's an oasis in a sense and when i shut those gates we consider ourselves our own country we still have to pay taxes to the um u.s but we you know, we make our own rules up here and most of them are good. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it is a protected area. We, we, um, we feel very uh, safe here and stuff. So, yeah. And your place is like that too. When I went to your place, I mean, you're, you're up on top of the mountain in a sense where good views and all that. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think, uh, I think we see eye to eye on, on trying to carve out our own, our own little society where, where we're at. And, uh, it's, right. it's worked pretty well. I'm, I'm fortunate that, uh, the talented people that I work with, uh, you know, have, have been willing and wanting to continue on a, <clears throat> on a staggered scale to, to come back and hang out here over the course of this thing. But uh, yeah. but we are back, you know. Oregon's back in in a in a uh, more or less a lockdown state. So we're right. we're back. Everybody should be. Yeah. yeah. At least we have a president coming on that will help with a lot of that. <laughs> we're we're excited here. Um, we'll say hey to Lyme for me, and I, uh, I will. He yeah. he no longer lives in Oregon. Oh no! Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, he moved. I believe he moved back to Michigan. And oh I, goodness! And I think he's, I think he's kind of looking at the next journey. So I don't know what that, I don't know what that looks like or entails. Yeah, well, yeah that's that's. He was an interesting fellow there. So you without, know, without a made doubt. an impact. Yeah, without but without a doubt. Also, Eve. I've never met Eve, but Eve has helped quite a bit with this. So she's made me feel very comfortable. So oh, good. She, yeah. Eve's yeah. Eve's fantastic. Eve's fantastic. Yeah. We. We are excited, you know, someday. Obviously, there's very little planning that we can do because who knows what's, you know, what 2021 is going to bring. And But we are excited to have you out here. It's it's still our, our sincere intention to, to have you come share your knowledge. It. Yeah, I would love it. Yeah. So, I, I, so I'm, still, I'm still kind of uh, uncertain, I guess, how, how you developed such a well first of all how did you even get involved in bonsai because you're an individual in north america that has a, a real soulful garden has a significant body of knowledge has a tremendous amount of experience and respect 
And, and I've never really asked you how it all started for you. I have no idea what your journey looks like. Well, I mean, to make it, um, to explain it, I guess, started in nursery school where teacher wanted everybody to go home and um, come back with their favorite color. And so it, it, I was probably the only one that took it to heart. And I went home and all I could do is look at my favorite book, which was about these bears flying kites. And they always got stuck in these trees. And I went, well, green, green's my favorite color. And it was because of the trees and trees have always just been there for me. They've, um, you know, you climb them, you feel safe in them. They're, they're just some, something, the, the feeling of them is, a, is always been there for me. And, and growing up where I grew up with my family in Florida, the trees, there are just powerful and you've got to really look at them. And there was this old oak tree in front of the family home that was just, I mean, you couldn't walk under it without feeling the the power of it. Mm. It's just a very old, old tree and uh, graced you with its presence. Where, uh, where in Florida? Were you born and raised in Florida? Um, no, I was actually born in South Carolina, but my family is from Florida. Mm. And um, I always say I'm from Florida, but you know, reality has started sinking in. I moved to Atlanta when I was 13, so... A little hard to claim, <laughs> but uh, you know it's, the family's still there. So you know the the home place is still um, there. We, we visit a lot, and that tree is is um, you know it's, it's several thousand years old, I would think, for a live oak. Um, but it's hit lots of hurricanes, and it's you know getting smaller and smaller, just the way all of older people we start shrinking. You know, yeah. And so, Trees doing that. Too. I'll be done. I, that tree started in bonsai. That one tree that started bonsai for you. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that that? So, where in Florida are we talking here? We're talking about sort of the Gulf Coast, um, Panama City, Pensacola, okay, um, in that area, the the Panhandle. Yeah, and and would you say that that tree? is your kind of rendition if you think tree as tree as a term is that is that what comes to mind that that live oak sort of in the sense where um you can see how resilient they are it 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 burned in a fire in 1945 that the dead wood is still there it's got great charry and gins and stuff on it and it framed looking out through the tree and looking underneath it you you're on the intercoastal waterway and then um, half mile away is a barrier island you see all these tall tall um, yellow pines that have been beat by the hurricanes and stuff backdrop so there was that with the um the live oak um the water then the um sort of bunjin quality of these pines that were on this barrier island so Mm. But that tree sort of focused me and just you had to look through it to see the rest of um, that world in those days, you know, fishing and there's the water. We want to get out on it every day, all day long. Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, it was in the the part with um, the boxwoods, the Kingsville's that that the interesting part to that with me, I was struggling with bonsai because that, uh, you know, finding had really good teacher and I was passion was there but that finding the soul of the tree in each piece of material i was i was struggling with and um 
So I went to a ball show um, pretty early on in, in my life. And I don't know if you, um, well, I'm not going to mention her name, but she had a little bitty um, Kingsville up on display. And it was like, it, and it was right um, in the same town that my parents and everybody's from, um, Fort Walton Beach. Uh, Jenny Smith is who I'm talking about, but sort of, she, there was this little tree and it looked exactly in my mind like that, that live oak in front of the house. And it just, it all of a sudden it, it, it showed me um, what I should be seeing in bonsai. My teacher always says, look at the trees in nature. They're the teachers. So seeing that tree was such an interesting part because that live oak that I'm talking about, um, all the branches came out of one spot. We're talking super reverse taper. But it worked. I mean, and, and so you have this boxwood that looks just like that. It expresses all those same shapes of how it works and everything. It just instantly. Um, then I could see the pine trees and <laughs> grab Boonjin after that. But it's like it explained everything to me all at once. Just wow. that little boxwood. So that's what started Kingsville's out being such a passion for me because I got them. I got the shape. I got the look of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Easy. <clears throat> and, and you didn't just, uh, dabble in Kingsville's. I mean, you really dedicated to that species or have, it's one of the species that, that you're known for being knowledgeable and working with a lot. Uh, and, and all of it stems from that tree. Pretty much, yes. That's yes. awesome, and Roddy. That's period. so cool. So, yes, yeah, a great tree. And, you know, um, again, the old family home burned in 1945, and it was a um, heart of pine house, so it burned really hot. So mm. all the live oaks that were around it, you know, were on the side facing the fire, were totally scarred. And, again, well, I'll, I'll send you a picture of some of the the um, gin, the, the dead trees on uh, the excuse me the dead wood on it it's awesome you, hard to carve that way you gotta you know just see it to believe it yeah oh i would love to see yeah, that it, it was that one tree and you know it's been sad over the years because it um it keeps dropping limbs and all that but that's sort of life you know it's definitely um yeah, yeah that's an interesting it's interesting there's a <clears throat> There's a bunch of Oregon white oak as I as as I drive up sort of one of the back roads to Mirai, and there's a a standalone out in a cattle pasture. You know, it's a very uh, picturesque oak. And in the just in the ten years I've been here, I, the the top of it fell out, the back half of it uh, broke off. You know, in windstorms, snowstorms, and watching it shrink. You know, it's happening much faster than than the live oak you're talking about. But it is really interesting, you know, to watch trees expand and then and then contract and sort of hit that pinnacle right. point of their age. And uh, it, it it's very metaphorical, or at least, you know, we tend to not see that happen unless we see the catastrophic end because trees have such a greater perspective in terms of their lifespan. But but to uh, to be able to correlate is is fascinating, and to grapple with that uh, loss is is also interesting. You know, it really is. I agree with that. So so once you once you dug into the Kingsville's, well, before we go there, who was this teacher 
you said you had a great teacher. You were having a hard time finding the soul of the tree. I want to circle back to that. Who was your Who was your teacher? My teacher was um, E. Felton Jones, and um, so he very interesting person. Went to Duke University and studied um, his his whole um, original. What he studied was mosses, and so he, it was very interesting coming from mosses. He drove out to California and one day walked and passed a shop where um, bonsai were being sold and, and became a student of that guy, which was very closely related to John Naka. They went, that was the same teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it was a good experience for me. And the one thing that I liked about Felton is he didn't really, um, once you were a student of his, he didn't go, you're my student. Don't listen to anybody else. He really pushed me to, tech workshops and that's how I met John Nock and, and uh, people like John, but you see the early people and learn from everybody Yeah, was my philosophy at that time. Felt and pushed that. But thinking back on it, one of the smart things I did, I years ago, I started embracing all the people that were the cool teachers and all that. And then one day I went, yeah, I'm a student of Felton. So in one um, demo, I started talking about Felton and what he everything and it just you know sometimes you just feel really good about yourself and that just brought a, a very comfortable feeling about me and it actually I didn't realize it but he was in the audience and it um as good as it felt for me of course it felt really really good for him yeah so, validation just, yeah yeah interesting and and how old were you when you started doing bonsai like when did all this when did all this start well embarrassingly enough I'm going to tell you um as I, I saw it the first time at 13 and went right past that and started looking at this guy's tropicals to his bonsai now bonsai has probably improved quite a bit since then but when i was 17 was when i just went to a mall with a girlfriend and and saw a, a show in the distance and just walked up and there was a lady here in atlanta martha dull who did really good bonsai at an early age. And, you know, I'm going to say in the late sixties and her forest just showed me what bonsai was all about. I mean, I just walked right up to it and went, I've got to do this and went and bought three trees at a local nursery and butchered them. I mean, they were dead within two days. Now you, <laughs> that's hard to do. That is actually, <laughs> but I, I realized that, and, you know, then I wanted to um, learn how to do it. So I went, and found out Felton was teaching in Atlanta, very lucky. So I went and lessons were really expensive. It was like $10 for a night, and uh, which was a lot of money for me in those days. And so I started taking these lessons. He quickly saw that if he wanted me to come, he was gonna have to do them for free or get me to work and sweep the floor, whatever. So that was sort of how I got started and um, took lesson after lesson. It was hard to, you know, you call it a passion but that's that's what happened yeah yeah and 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 did you so you moved to atlanta when you were 13 you find bonsai when you're 17 did you stay in atlanta through throughout the course of your life has that kind of been your home base for everything it really has i mean i've moved around you know metro atlanta's huge and i've moved around it but yeah yes no matter how many times i leave it's it's um I mean, there's so much here, and of course, everything goes through Atlanta at some point. But um, beautiful trees, and you're close to everything. 
So mm-hmm. yes, make a long story short. Yeah. I haven't ventured too far out as far as a permanent mm-hmm. place to live. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you get to travel. I mean, you're a bonsai professional that's very in demand. You get to travel all over the country. Uh, and what is it about the Southeast uh, as a region that you, obviously, I'm assuming there's a, a sense of home and a sense of place there, but what is it about the Southeast that that you find to be appealing? The Southeast is, I'll just be honest, it's a mystery to me. This is a mystery. I've right. you have worked in Tennessee. I've I've been to Atlanta. I've spent time uh, in Alabama and and uh, Florida and uh, Kentucky and Indiana. And w- whether we're getting out of the southeast in Indiana or not, but y- I, I and I've driven across it multiple times. And it is it is such a unique pocket of North America in terms of the culture and the history and the landscape and uh, the climate. It's just a really it's a real area of a lot of uh influences converging on a, on a singular region right well you know i'm gonna go back to several things but it's very very close to mountains and ridges and the seashore grasslands um you've got so much to look at and so as far as in the old days of lots of collecting um native um, material. It, it was so close. I mean, you could you could go out and collect, and maybe just have to spend overnight if you got carried away. But um, it's easy to get to, so you were able to to collect a tree, get it home, and take care of it, mm-hmm. which is hugely important. Atlanta itself is the the interesting part. We're considered the deep south, but um, and it gets hot here and it gets humid here, but. Um, our place here in Atlanta, and there's, it's a variant, but um, we're at a thousand feet. And so a lot of material that we can grow here, we can grow a ton of stuff. Um, We can't grow larches. There's certain trees we can't grow, but um, you're just given a wide range of, um, of availability of material to, to grow it. So as far as a plant person goes, Atlanta's fantastic. And we have, um, Good water, uh, the just the but the number of trees. I mean, land's considered a, a tree city, so we have issues with maybe too many trees in our our um, estate here. But but still, it's it's just everything does well here. So for that reason, um, it's it's really fun for a horticulturist. Our climate is just perfect for growing things. Interesting. So that that's been the the. Di- the big deal. And it's, it's just convenient. You know, you got good food and uh, all that also. What, what else besides bonsai do you uh, enjoy Rodney? I know you're, uh, you and, and Charlie have eclectic tastes, but are there other things that you're as passionate about as bonsai? Probably not. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I would, I would, I would have the same response. (laughs) I have, um, uh, you know, we have a lot of interest here. And so, you know, things attract your attention. But, you know, I think all of it, you know, if you've got this focal point of the center of this heart, like bonsai can be, everything else relates to it. So say um, I've done things like I love to paint. I love to do this or that. But it all gets back to and you use it in bonsai also. Mm-hmm. All your arts, all your 
um, your disciplines of how you cook, um, you know, how do you take care of things, uh, how you treat your animals, all that also relates to bonsai. And um, when, when I have a student, I really always like to kind of guess what they do as far as a vocation and then ask about it because those certain um, skills that they do develop in the rest of their life can be applied to bonsai. And that's part of being a teacher is learning how to show them the direction to get to bonsai and learn it the easiest. Like I did with um, learning that um, what trees, how they grew from a, a boxwood, you know? mm-hmm. not a tree, but a shrub taught me the biggest lesson. Interesting. Now, do but, uh, you not use everything? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you do you have uh, over the course of the pandemic, and then you know prior to the pandemic, do you have a lot of students that that come and study on site, or do you tend to go to your study groups and, and students around the country? How does that work for you? Well, um, I'm fortunate in the sense where I'm sort of the curator of two collections, and and uh, one's the one at the monastery that I've learned. And sort of the love of that one came from a boxwood that Father Paul had. Um, and also the Smith Gilbert Garden, which we've definitely, um, I've come in that as sort of been my passion as far as making it a true nice collection, as opposed to just uh, having little trees and pots calling a bonsai. It's, it's gotten where I'm very proud of it. Um, so I have those two and I have students and stuff, but, but mostly um, here at the house, um, we've never really gone into having a lot of study groups or classes that you have 10 people in a class and, you, you know, you get um, sort of advertiser, you're doing a, a you know, starter bonsai classes and stuff like that. I've just, that's just never floated my boat. So we, we have different um, students that come here and a lot of them have developed into just sort of apprentices and stuff. But um, we have people coming, but it, that's sort of the pandemics kind of showed me that the traveling and stuff, it was really important. It was very important for me to get um, kind of my backbone into teaching bonsai um, well-developed. But um, here at the house is, I really, um, we have it set up to where we can have classes. We have now have a, since you were here, we have a ramp where big trees can get up on our deck system. We're all set up for it, but we haven't really used it because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. As far as the staying active in bonsai, it's, it's been through taking care of the two collections and having just a certain number of people coming by. And, and then I have three or four people in the Atlanta area, maybe a few more than that, but where I'm going taking care of their trees a lot with them. But mm-hmm. even with that, with the pandemic, where, for instance, I was mostly doing all the work at first. Now they're at home and they've got a, sort of a new relationship with their trees. That's been fun, where you're really, um, I'm seeing the biggest improvement with people's trees from them actually being involved with it, as opposed to hiring me. They're, they're doing a great job. So that, that's been fun. But, um, Interesting. you know, it's, it's slowed down some, there's no question that, um, as far as, uh, the teaching and all that has gone up, like, like I was saying, I've had time to, um, work on things other than bonsai. That's, 
and I'm slow at it. Putting a roof on is I'm not as fast as I used to be. I think bonsai slowed me down. (laughs) 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 That's funny. That's hilarious, actually, because we're sticking these trees in tiny pots with the notion that it's going to slow them down and kind of reduce their proportions. And the <laughs> the, yeah. the feedback has actually had the same effect, like a mutual agreement that's being forged between you and the tree. That makes me laugh. That's crazy. Did did now? I mean, over the course of time, how has bonsai evolved in the in the Atlanta area and in that in that region of the country? Because I am assuming, I mean, I don't know if you were influenced by Vaughn Banting or by John Naka or by other prominent artists and professionals that were coming through their collaborating, teaching, uh, working, but but I, I, I know that you have kind of deep ties to the history of North American bonsai, having been doing it for a fairly significant amount of time. And you know what? What what's that been like? What what? How has how have things changed and evolved? Well, um, you know, and, and you mentioned Vaughn Banning. Uh, what a what a person! Mm. One of the nicest people, but um, great teacher. Um, first one that um, introduced me to the flat top style to the ball cypress, and it's like, duh! <laughs> of course, that's it. But, um, you know, when, when I started with Bonsai, um, you know, quite frankly, it, it's pretty pathetic when you think of back on what the trees were like. As, as long as you could put a rooted cutting into a Bonsai pot, then that was Bonsai. And, you know, you'd look at the, the books from Japan and, and stuff and see Bonsai and you just couldn't imagine how you got from that stick in the pot to the Bonsai itself and um and so as time went on you know american bonsai has improved just off the charts and and uh nowadays any of the bonsai we had 50 years ago wouldn't even be a they'd be laughed at if you brought them to a show nowadays and a lot of that is you know people like you coming back and and teaching us you know i've learned as much from you as as just anybody you bring up john naka and all that well there's the new people on the on the block right now are the ones I'm learning from just as much as the past. But mm. you know, John was very much a huge influence. But um, bonsai in America, I think, in the last ten years, fifteen years, has been such a improvement, such a growth that's taken place. It's it's improved through the fifty years, but the last ten to fifteen years is just poof. You know, at least I'm here for riding the wave at the very <laughs> at that part. You know, so yeah, yeah bonsai's taken off. The shows are incredible. The camaraderie is incredible. The um, the pots have gotten so much better. The American potters. I mean, look at those guys. There were some good potters that back in the day, but they're off the charts now. And yeah. um, so you know, things are looking good. Yeah, yeah. I it's it's such a it's such a process though. Talking with David Easterbrook and uh, you know his presence up in Canada and Bill Valvanis and and mm-hmm. the northeastern United States and you know you recognize Kathy Shaner's impact and you have John Naka and Benoki and and Harry and 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 all of those gentlemen and you know Yuji Oshiba. It's just like this. It's been this progression and it's 
I think what you see in the past 10 to 15 years, whether it's in, in the, the same thing happened in Europe as well as in North America, where you, you had these sort of pe- these, these pioneers, you know, that had right. a little information, few resources. Uh, it was still a relatively unknown, closed, closed system of education in terms of what was being shared from Japan. And, uh, and yet, people were passionate enough about it to continue and, and try right. and attempt and, you know, just like sort of stumble their way through it with sheer grit and determination because these trees had this, this captivating interest to them that they were willing to dedicate to, which I, I still try to make sense of for myself uh, on, a, on a daily basis, kind of looking at what it, what it takes to be a bonsai professional if you're not completely committed then it's it's probably not for you but it's but, not for you yeah right it's it takes it takes a it takes a, a a complete dedication i think but i'm really lucky you know because i look at people such as yourself i mean mariah as it stands now had i not visited your garden when i visited it i i wouldn't have understood what it would have meant what it meant to make a garden that that was mine that that visit to your facility changed everything about the way I thought about a garden, and oh, yeah, yeah, and those those moments for these all of these people that have put in this time and stuff created the foundation that I think has built the momentum that gave rise to uh, you know whatever you could call the past ten years progress or improvement or evolution, uh, but it's really the fruits of everybody that came first because. <laughs> The doors were open. The doors were open for myself, for for Bjorn, for you know um, Peter Warren, for Danny Coffey, for Peter T, for Matt Real. It, it, the doors were already open for us. It was yeah, at that at that point, it was easy uh, compared to what say you know people had to go through prior to prior to this generation that is currently coming back. So it's it's really nice to think about it as such a collaborative project of generations of bonsai practitioners over the course of North America giving rise to where we're at now because it really is a product of so many people over such a long period of time or you know, maybe a relatively short period of time in the grand scheme of things, but nevertheless, lives dedicated to this art form that got us to where we're at. And that's, that's cool. That's cool to me. That, that gives it a richness that not a lot of things that we experience as Americans in a relatively young culture get to take pride in. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's, uh, but it's, I, I think we're still at the tip of the iceberg, uh, honestly. And I don't know how you feel about that in terms of where can bonsai go or where, where do you see it going or where would you like to see it go? Do you, do you have opinions about that? Yes. Um, I think what I'm seeing, um, even, a little bit more recent than the 10 or 15 years I was talking about is the power now that's being expressed. And I'm, I'm starting to see that my own trees, trees that I looked at only in one way for so long. Now I'm going out and just seeing something totally different. Even the shapes and the types of the pots or whatever we're planting them in is changing so much. And it's opened up a whole new look on what bonsai is all about. That's the part that's surprised me for one thing, sort of the um, 
not that I was totally rooted in tradition and traditional bonsai, but it's wide open now. And I'm even looking at the trees in nature a little different because of it. Um, so, you know, that's part of um, what's taken place this year is I've, I've had the time to actually look at our own trees and decide um, a new direction for them. Mm. And that's, that's changed. And I think that's where I, I'm not sure you travel a lot more than I do, but I haven't seen it um, in other parts of the world. I'm sure it's there. I'm sure all this has taken place all over, but it's been a lot of fun. Just kind of we're opening up another layer or another door to bonsai. And um, again, that's, that's been a lot of fun for me. And just, just the shapes of the trees have changed. Um, the, the power of it is, is really what I'm looking at in, in my trees is, is not really looking at a tree as a bonsai, but, but really making bonsai into a, a tree. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a change. And so all these um, styles of, and I've quit teaching why well, I did that long ago, but quit teaching the first branch, second branch, back branch influence because it's contrived. I mean, the first branch could be one of all, all the way at the top that makes the whole difference of the tree. It's the, the most um, interesting branch maybe would be the right word for it. But yeah. um, things are changing, but the approach on styling bonsai has, has changed a lot, I think, yeah. recently. Maybe that's just keeping your eyes and your mind open a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, at some point, at some point, it did seem like there was a shift, and I don't know where that point was, but it feels like a lot of people sensed it or felt it or, or have been influenced by it. There was a shift to kind of turning your eyes from looking down at a tiny tree and thinking about sort of the the rules uh, as they've been created for styling that tiny yeah. tree to looking up and and you know sort of the perspective of where where is the information that it, that's influencing the process coming from and i think you know north america as a continent is is, is such an interesting landmass and such a diverse landscape that has so many wonderful, unique, and and singularly uh, specific aesthetics to what we have here, and it is exciting to see people exploring. But you're talking about, and you you brought something up earlier, where you're saying Atlanta and the Southeast was always nice because there's so many different plants, and you could get to places very easily to collect. There have been, as far as collecting in North America, I wonder. If if the southeast was the first place that trees were were collected, you know, I don't know, I have no clue about that, but it seems like there is a long history there of using native material as bonsai subject matter. Well, we didn't have access to a lot of, um, you know, there there were a few um, just shimpakus. They they've been around since since I started for sure, but. It, yeah, there wasn't a lot. And so we did have to have bonsai go out and collect a lot of the trees. We, we were growing a lot of the native maples, the pine trees, the good pine trees that we got were not ones coming that had a little age on them from West Coast or wherever. But um, we were collecting trees. 
from the mountain ridges and stuff that short needles and, and, um, had that character and stuff. So yeah, it, it's, um, you, you look at the, the cypress. I mean, you've got a weed out there that you're able to make into a bonsai. So a lot happens really quick. It's a very strong, powerful tree that, that withstands a lot of mistakes perhaps also, but it grows so nicely, so strong that, that you can do a lot in one year with it. So it keeps you on your toes, you know? Yeah. So if you, I, my teacher, you know, if you, if I see a student that overworks his trees, then I point them towards a tree that they can't keep up with. And I think he was talking to me in the end, but <laughs> ball cypress is one of those um, that is hard to keep up with, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, in our area, we, we do have a lot and some of the best trees um, as far as bonsai goes that we have here at the place. Um, I'm lucky for several reasons, having good trees, but I have a wife that supports me does bonsai understands it and can reel me back in sometimes with um, too much passion. But, um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we've the best trees are the, the collected trees. There's no question you get the age and you get, they grow in a different way. You can't, once you learn what the tree actually looks like, grows like in nature, it's pretty easy to, to style the natural trees that have done that for years. I mean, you know, the best, the best approach is not to mess your tree up, but to, to help it facilitate it into the shape it already wants to be. Yeah. So. Has your, and you, you talked about just your styling uh, and general design has changed in, in, the, in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years away from the left, right, back kind of traditional orthodox. When you look at your own approach, you're saying you're seeing trees differently now and you're seeing designs that you hadn't necessarily seen or maybe hadn't chosen to pursue. Uh, would you say that that is a part of the narrative arc of your career, having those kinds of changes happening right now? Is this a, is this a product of where you're at in life as an individual? Is this a product of where your sense has evolved, having the experience that you've had? What's leading, what's leading to that aesthetic shift in your approach and consideration of design? Well, that's a fun question. You could take so many different ways, but you know, it, 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 you look at bonsai and you look at your life. How do you separate the two? Did the, did, did you go from a lifestyle bonsai or from the bonsai work to change it into your lifestyle or does it build up together? And, um, so I think it, as you grow, I think you we're in the process of talking about personal growth. Well, as you grow, that translates into every other part of your life. And, and uh, so the bonsai, I've gotten more comfortable with it. I've gotten more comfortable in my life. Now, did that, is that because the bonsai, I got finally comfortable with that? And so my life came along with it, right. or vice versa. But it, they work together, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's happened for various reasons. I'm, um, more comfortable with myself. So it, it gets expressed in the bonsai for huh. sure. And do you, you know, it is. do you feel a different motivation behind your bonsai now, or do you feel the motivation is, is the same? 
I'm not sure if it's motivation as much to me as is. I'm really trying not to, um, you know, I'm, re I'm really trying to embrace the tree that's already there. And so, you know, if I can br see the tree and bring it out a little bit better, that's, that's my job in a sense is to whatever the tree's got, the essence, the soul of that tree, let it express itself. You know, I'm, my job is there to, help the tree along express what it really wants to be. And so by doing that, it's making me, you know, that expression is, is coming back to me also. And so it, it, again, it works back and forth, but um, I don't know if that answers that question or not, but. Yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, I watched the narrative arc of Mr. Kimura's career and, and his was interesting because it was so, uh, clearly defined by his apprentice core, and not not that his process was defined by his apprentice core, but I think I'm realizing more and more. Maybe in fact it was. Maybe he was influenced by those individuals that were in his immediate space, and what those individuals facilitated the capacity to do, because that was the only variable uh, in inside of his process was the the people that were around him. Uh, you know, the, the landscape didn't really change. The culture has this sort of traditional consistency to it where the mentality really was consistent. Uh, and so, you, so it seems like, to me, the personalities maybe brought some of that notion of, of different motivations or thought processes to him. But, but his generation, the generational core groups of apprentices seem to create different approaches to bonsai for Mr. Kimura. And obviously when I was there towards the, um, you know, I would, I would say not, not latter portion of his career. Cause I think I, I, I sort of entered his facility, um, right, right as he was cresting, right. Right. As he was cresting mm -hmm. sort of at the top of his recognition and skill set and prominence and, um, but I did see major shifts and major changes, and I've always been curious about how, you know, the path of our life as individuals, bonsai being such a mirror reflection of us, you know, you, you look at a tree that somebody with technical proficiency has styled, and I say technical proficiency because it means that you're not limited by technique uh, debilitating your design abilities, right? Technique empowers right. those abilities. So technical proficiency means you're getting a true representation or reflection of the individual uh, not being limited by technique and, and you look at that and, and you can't hide you can't hide it's why the feels to me why the critique model why people can respond so strongly to a critique of their tree even even a, a, a positive critique of their tree can bring about really strong emotions Oh yeah, you know, and you recognize like, wow, this is personal. This is personal beyond just uh, a, a standard uh, piece of work. This is very, very deeply personal. This notion of this tree that you've invested yourself in and forged a relationship with, and and so you know, between that narrative arc of Mister Kimura and this uh, visceral response to criticism and the the truth and honesty that bonsai reflects in the individual that has has you know worked with it, uh, it, it it has made me wonder more and more as I see my approach shifting. What is this telling me about myself that I'm not aware of? You know, and so hearing you say right now that you're 
you're seeing a change uh, and, and a shift in your process. It's like, ooh, interesting, Rodney. Tell me more. You know, like tell me more. <laughs> what's well, ha- what's uh, happening in your life right now, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I'll tell you one thing that happened um, last year, and there was a um, a group. There's an artist community about a mile from here, which is pretty cool. And so a homeschool teacher called me up and she wanted to do a class with her students. And we're talking probably five students and their range in age from seven years to maybe 13, 14, something like that. So she goes, would you be interested? I was like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to do this. And, and so we got some, because we have so many, we got some boxwoods and they were all similar styles and stuff. And they, they came down and the first part, I wanted to get them comfortable with bonsai. So I was walking around um, the collection. It was winter. So there, a lot of them were in that um, cold frame that we have. And so they were looking. And so you had four or five of these people that were all looking at the trees in their different ways. And it's so fun to watch people look at your trees that you feel like you know so well. And they're, they're looking at things and they're pointing out the way a branch goes and that this tree looks like a, a little dog or this tree looks like that. And, you know, I'm used to that, but it was very interesting. Then I look back and there's this one girl that is laying down on the ground, looking up at my trees from the ground. And I went, <laughs> wow, yeah, now that's cool. So I've been laying down, looking up at them. Let me tell you, it changes your perspective on branch placement, um, your your apex the silhouette just um the way light goes through them um it's a very interesting approach so you pay attention you can learn from everybody even somebody that doesn't mind laying on their back and (laughs) no telling what was on that ground but mostly (laughs) gravel (laughs) but looking up at the tree that's huge that was huge to me wow wow that's fascinating that's really really interesting the uh it's interest it's really fun to engage with bonsai and kids we did some bonsai some bonsai classes uh at taft's montessori school and that was pretty that was pretty awesome because uh kids just some things just make sense that i i think you know in our polluted minds being influenced by so much information all the time we either either miss skip over uh, our brains are adapted to not observe whatever it is, and then and then this six year old says something profound, and it's just like, what? Wow! You know. Well, then then that's the lesson in the sense where I like with the little girl looking up at the tree. I've used that so many times with explaining when somebody's having trouble with a certain thing. I said, "Well, lay on the ground and look at your tree." And it works, you know, it's like if the more we can see what the kid and the person that you're teaching is and go back to that, it helps them come along, I think. Nice. So that little girl teaching me that, you know, you, you've got to pull that out of other people also. What, what made you excited as a kid? Well, get back to that. <laughs> All this confusion you've learned to um, live with or live under, get rid of it sometimes. I'm I'm gonna have to think long and hard about that today, Rodney. That's great. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Uh, I I wanted to. So you're talking about feeling like your job 
or your objective or your motivation is really finding the soul of the tree and helping it be what it wants to be. And you talked about, uh, obviously, the collection at the monastery, but there was one more collection that you talked about that, that you were really proud of. What was that collection called? Well, it's called the Smith Gilbert Garden. Okay. And it, um, it's in Kennesaw, Georgia. And the city owns the um, estate and the bonsai part. And it's a 13 acres. They've got sculpture. They've got a very, um, almost a, what is considered a botanical garden arboretum, but it's got a lot of plant material in it. A lot of weddings or what pays the bills, I guess, and stuff, but their bonsai collection, um, we've, the, the first thing when I was kind of hired as a curator, the, the first thing I did, and I think this is important for everybody's collection was the, the very first thing I did to really improve the collection was, was reduce the collection in size by just eliminating the, the ones that weren't ever going to get to a quality tree, just eliminating those, the collection just instantly people go, gosh, you've done so good. And it's like, yeah, I just took out some of the ones that weren't going <laughs> to make it. But, um, it's, and, and we have a volunteer base that, that was pretty cool because you get the public involved by coming and wanting to learn bonsai and they'll come ask a question. It's like, yeah, come on in the little, here's a pair of scissors. They go, what you'll let me work on these trees and you know, the better tree you work on, the better your skill level gets quicker and quicker. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they're good trees. They, some of the ones I've worked on for a lot longer than they've been in that collection there. There were some, the the person that um, donated his collection to it early on had some trees that I'd collected one in 1975, you know, a pond cypress from the Everglades. So there was a lot of memory there and a lot of, you know, it's like getting back to taking care of old friends again. And so that is pretty cool. But the public involvement has been fantastic. And they have a little sheet on what you've enjoyed about the garden and list the, the numbers. And bonsai's off the charts on being the most popular part of that garden to people that don't know bonsai. Hmm. And so that's been really pretty cool. And I'm proud of it enough to where um, I think other bones of it's right off the expressway, so it's not too far. But you know, you can have other bones of people come in there and they're they they express things like I would do this with this branch or it needs to be in this pot. Well, you're making them talk about it, right? That's the first step. <laughs> so, you know, it's been fun. That's a fun collection. And and the approach of the approach of of sort of helping a tree be what it wants to be. This is something that I think about a lot uh, as, as, I, as I guess I see myself changing and, and hopefully progressing. I don't know. That's, that's not up for me to decide necessarily. Uh, personally, I, I feel like I'm progressing. But the, the heavy level of manipulation, like the heavy change, the big Kimura, Kobayashi-esque radical bending transformation the the european uh you know gigantic uh demonstration model style approach to bonsai it 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 does feel like that was a wave that came through bonsai and sort of had a very big impact and has you know lasting impressions but i feel like bonsai is moving almost out of that to a degree almost 
almost moving away from that dramatic, big, heavy transformation. And as I'm listening to you talk and really talking about bringing out the soul tree, helping it be what, you, what, it, what it wants to, it doesn't mean we stop bending or styling or, or making design okay. decisions, right? But, but, right. Uh, but I find myself making uh, what I would consider to be less radical contrived movements in the styling the longer that I'm practicing bonsai on my own. And, and is, that, is that what you're talking about when you talk about helping the tree find what it wants to be? Or where do you, where do you orient in that realm of, of design and transformation and approach? Um, I'll start out this way. With the one consistency that's gone through bonsai from um, the start of my career to now is the one thing that you've got to learn in bonsai and you got to teach in bonsai. And that's overall horticulture and health of the tree. And so all what we're talking about right now with the styling and everything has to start with that baseline of the tree really, really being ha happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. And so starting with that, you know, I'm going to go back to some of the early um, Japanese books I was reading and looking at, and their, their styles were so different then and, and very natural, very loose, sometimes messy by standards now um but they look like trees to me yeah. they look like trees and it got to a point where horticulturally gosh in the technical work was fantastic but the trees um look like sculptures in a sense and i i mean i i get it i i enjoyed it i looked at it but they didn't look natural even though they had all these natural features of fantastic Jen and Shari work, um, health of the branches, the work, the layering of all that wiring and getting everything tight and looking good, fantastic. But the trees, you know, you use a word that I love, contrived. They, they were contrived trees at that point. And so um, I was asked by somebody, I was critiquing a collection. It's probably the worst thing you can ever say, so don't don't repeat this as far as using it yourself, but there was this pine that was almost a formal upright-ish, but it was super triangle. Every branch was in place, and the guy made the mistake of going, Rodney, um, what would you do to change this tree? And I said, well, I'd get about 20 feet away and take a brick and just close my eyes and throw the brick at the tree and <laughs> give it some style. And uh, you know the guy that I said that to, but I'm, um, I shouldn't say, but he had agreed with me and, uh, I don't think he ever did it, but, but, you know, this trees can be too perfect and they can be too, um, contrived in the sense where every branch is in its place, but there's a natural quality. I mean, somebody's tree that they've worked on for years and all of a sudden a branch dies or something hits it and breaks something. That's all part of the life of the tree. And it, it's going to make it its own little unique tree is gives it the sense of who it is. And, um, so that, that part is hard to embrace. It's hard to teach. You just don't want to go in there and rip a branch out just to give it style. You don't want to throw a brick at your tree, but you know, there's, you've got to embrace that look. And, and you know, I, I like seeing some of the, the branches with, um, not having a very level, clean, straight line where my eye stops there. I want to see branches with movement and stuff mm -hmm. with more, um, I keep calling it 
uh, when I'm trying to explain it, negative space. To me, the negative space in the, the trees more important than the positive, the foliage and everything, just the, the holes that we've left, the openings, what the eye goes into, that's more important. Well, that's, when you look at these trees in nature, the ones that grow around here, those negative spaces, those open areas, that's the tree. That's as much of the trees as the foliage goes, or the trunks go. And uh, so that's that's a good way of, of doing it. That, that's that look, that embracement of the negative space, to me is is being um, accelerated now. It's the more I'm seeing trees, the more loose and open they're becoming. To me, it's a different kind of art. It's actually a harder art than getting all those triangles perfect and all that. Uh, I, that. I agree with that. I agree with that 120. percent It is more challenging to mm-hmm. seek to seek the ability to communicate with less uh, control, right? To, 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 to be able to clearly convey to somebody your intention without just taking complete control of the tree. But it also right. is the most beautiful because now it's a, now it's a mutual relationship, right? It's not just, I'm going to tell exactly. you what you're going to be, you know, it's like, I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen, but I also have something to say. As long as we yeah. can agree on that, you know, like find that middle ground. I do think there's more, I do think there's more value being put into the trees, uh, what the tree has to contribute. And, and that's where the left right back was, was such a negligent approach, you know, and we had to start there. We had to have some explanation of how in the hell do you even begin to make sense of this complex art form and and I'm and I yeah. yeah, and I'm happy that it existed. Uh, but I think now, you know, the the move towards recognizing that there's a lot that you don't have to try and impose upon the tree, and it actually is going to give you a better finality. That that's that's a magical discovery that I think is fascinating when you look back at the early Kokfu albums, or you look back at uh, Japanese bonsai pre uh world war ii you really do see a much more wild and natural representation and a much less controlled and say formalized or conventional what we consider conventional now it just didn't exist back then and it's like oh this is we're not doing anything new here there's nothing new that we're doing this has been done and it evolved past that but I think there is an interesting thing to look at of, well, what led to that shift in, in, in the Japanese approach and what is leading to the shift now in maybe Western bonsai? Because I think it is, when you look at what Australia is doing, some of the talented individuals pushing the envelope there, or you look at Europe and you're, you, you, see the, you see the tension of sort of abiding by the Japanese model, which I do think you know, Euro, Europe and European culture has a reverence for uh, Japanese bonsai, which is understandable. I respect it. I, I have it myself. But there are some Europeans that are are, are pushing outside of that. Uh, and, and then in, obviously in North America, you have that tension as well amongst. And it's not to say you have to choose your camp. I think everybody should be able to do both. Why not? But uh, But it's fascinating just to watch all of these uh, three-dimensional forces acting on right. the bonsai culture. It just makes it so rich. It's such a, uh, it's such a creamy stew that it's becoming. It, it, 
and it's it feels great. I've I've got one question in the sense where um you know this is you keep talking about life and, and stuff and and um with with bonsai it's it's always interesting where I'll hear people talk about bonsai and how much control they have and how you know with the wiring and everything they're controlling they're controlling they're controlling but really is the tree controlling them? I mean where's the tree coming in? And the, the tree has just as much control as a person. So the the common ground, that marriage, is is where we all need to go to. Where mm. the tree's working on one side, we're working on the other, and then there's an end result, and uh, that's good for the tree and the the person, the bonsai artist. So you know, there's a huge combination that can't be overlooked from either side. I mean. Obviously, we're the slaves having to water the trees all the time, but the trees are giving us um, their life at the same time. So. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a big part of the to piggyback on that idea because I I'm firmly rooted in that with you, but uh, that was a big part of pulling back on travel for me. Uh, you made a comment earlier that I travel more than you. I I, I virtually don't travel anymore. Uh, and I mean, I have, uh, obviously I have my son, uh, Mariah's, uh, kind of become a, a busy place, but I, I think as much as anything, the, the, what I recognized is, is as you travel and teach, I got, I got a lot out of working with students. I always do. I love, I love the community, uh, and working with students, but when I would go places and just work on trees and you invest that energy into a tree, the, the benefit of bone size, when you're with that tree, you get paid back tenfold. But, right. but when I would invest that energy into a tree and then I would leave, I never got that back. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and so that became an energy yeah. sink, not an energy store. Uh, and over the course of time, traveling so much and yeah. injecting that energy and not getting it back, it, 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 tapped, it tapped my reservoir for being able to do that. And that... That was a really important moment to recognize that y- you have to be careful. You have, to, I, at least for me, I have to be careful with the amount of energy because I, and I think younger people generally tend to have more energy and they spend it very sloppily, right? Uh, and, and I think part of wisdom, quote unquote wisdom, it seems to me at this s- still young stage of, of my life and career, but maybe having spent a lot of energy irresponsibly is is wisdom learning to conserve your energy and use it where it it benefits you or where you want to or where it behooves you to right Um, right right but i don't know i don't i don't know how you feel about that that's just been an observation for me personally and in preservation of myself yeah with with me um all the traveling and um it, it really um it was part of my education. I'll, I'll put it that way. I was seeing other trees. I was seeing trees around the country, mainly um, that, you know, I use the flat top as every part of the country that you have these cypress growing, they were different and you had to pay attention. The, the one in Texas, the flat top in Texas was totally different than I was used to from, from Florida and growing up. So there was that education then there was a benefit for me um, being trying to be a teacher like my father. He taught in, um, at Emory University here. 
but trying to be a teacher. And so, you know, that energy, when I started taking it away from everybody's got ego, we use ego, hopefully for our advantage on, on, um, doing the good, but where, where I got the, um, the best, um, sort of bang for the buck as far as I went was, was, um, going back and seeing these trees, but seeing how the person improved, not the tree. And, um, so my whole, um, what really made me feel better and better about my teaching ability was seeing the tree improve under somebody else's, um, finger. And, um, the person I felt like I taught or at least showed them some, some things, you know, I don't try to be their only teacher, but I, I think that I'm um, seeing that is great. But now this whole deal with the pandemic and not traveling, I mean, I have, I haven't traveled all year. You know, it's been very, very interesting. And, and what it's going to do with me is I'm extremely selective with, um, when things get back open, I've, I've seen a different world now. I've <laughs> seen a different world with the bonsai. And the bonsai here, um, my life here is feeding me more than the travel mm-hmm. does. So, you know, I'm, again, I it was kind of interesting. My, my first Zoom session, um, I can't use the word I would think, but I was not good. And um, I just didn't please myself with it at all. It was a learning um, curve. And then the whole deal of not being able to a demo, do a demo and people, I mean, that's a part of the education we've all gotten used to um, teaching through. And it's a bad way to teach since where you're doing things that you wouldn't do at home. You wouldn't take this tree and push it to a point of if you um, couldn't go home and take care of it yourself. I mean, you know how to make the tree Go live through certain situations where you push the tree past its comfortable limit. Um, and that can be part of the demos telling people, well, I shouldn't have done this, but now I would have to, if I took it home, I would have to do this, this, and this to take care of it. Um, I've been doing these, I've done several of the Zoom sessions where I was actually working, doing a demo. And this is great. You're getting paid to do your own work on a tree you should be working on anyway and you've been excited about it and finally you're putting that um into you're making it happen and you're doing something stretching then then you know that it's your tree you've been wanting to but you're going to take care of it and you have that ability to go home and put it right where it needs to be do everything exactly to where it's going to respond very nicely. And there's a comfortable feeling there when not doing these demos and just releasing the tree. You know, it's like, you know, how many of them die from, from you not taking care of it. So the zoom thing, staying at home and, and doing it this way has been an eye opener for me. You know, it's like my trees are doing better. I'm doing better yeah. because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you basically just changed it. You basically just outlined why I started Mariah Live. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. you just did it. It's like, oh, I need to be doing this stuff. And there's, there's, uh, you know, there's information that obviously someone like yourself, with your experience and expertise, uh, people benefit from that. And uh, and technology has has decreased the necessity for physical presence. You know, but there is an right. undeniable, there is an undeniable 
I've recognized this during the the pandemic. There is an undeniable exchange of energy and connection that you have in person, right? You can never replace yeah. the in person and having we're social people. Yeah, we're still pe- yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and I guess I never you know, I came to the conclusion in Japan that as I worked on trees, I was getting a lot from the trees, uh, physical, tactile information, energy from the trees. Mm-hmm. And again, like when I talk about this, for some people, this is pretty woo woo. But but for me, this has become my reality. And that is that, you know, even working in the landscape uh, and handling dirt and plant material and altering the state of uh, of the land is a real interesting investment and return of energy but working with a tree that that touch is a big one but then i didn't think over the pandemic that in the summertime when we didn't have our summer sessions i didn't realize how much energy i was getting from my students in that uh in-person uh contact and energy and passion and perspective different perspectives and beautiful perspectives and so the, 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 the biggest thing I've gotten from the pandemic is there is a fine balance to be struck here in all of these wonderful expenditures of energy, as well as returns of energy and the forms that they come back that I don't know when I started Mirai or I started thinking I'm going to be a bonsai professional, I'm passionate about bonsai and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life that you could ever, you could ever understand that you are going to be more or less banking energy that you're spending like I never thought that would be a part of it but now at this point looking at looking at everything it it, it almost is which is hilarious because you know a tree as a photosynthetic system is is so keen and aware of its energy systems I mean it's yeah. it's leveraging everything on on what it hopes happens in the environment and that it's going to get it back and having a little bit in case things go wrong. It's just a, a beautiful uh, uh, business of energy inside of the tree. And, and maybe the trees are imparting that on me or I don't know. But, but that's, that's been a real awakening over the pandemic for me is the necessity for all of the components that, that contribute to what it means. And it's interesting because this is a bonsai practice in the Western world that is very different than Japan. Uh, in terms of where we get paid back for having made the choice to dedicate our lives to bonsai in the Western world. In Japan, it's a patronage, and it is very financially motivated. In the Western world, I feel like it's a relationship. I feel like there's a community, there's a relationship. And I think if it's about money, that you, that probably you're going to fail or going to recognize that you're never going to get rich doing bonsai, and that's the beautiful aspect of it to me. Right. I agree. That's a um, that's the perfect thing. Is it's like with me. I, I'm comfortable with bones. I'm comfortable with where it is financially or economically with me because it's not. That's not the motivation. Right. You know, I, I I did that early, and um, so now it's just about the relationship with the trees. That's the most important part. So financially, yeah. If you were trying to make a lot of money in bonsai. There are very few people that have that kind of drive, and and I, in a way, I think it limits them with their bonsai. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's a it's a different path, right? Yeah. Do you do you have trees that you still aspire to make that you've never made? 
Um, do I have types, species of trees, styles of trees, trees that I have that I've never made into good bonsai yet or haven't seen what's in them yet? Yes. Yes. Are you asking exactly? Yes. All, of, all, all, all of those. Yeah. All of those. You <laughs> can interpret it as you interpret it as you feel fit. Um, yeah, that's that's the part of life that's exciting. Yeah, there's tons out there that I still feel like um I've need to take care of or do or have the will to do. We've got so many trees here, of course, that um, you know, every tree's different. So, you know, the, the approach is different. So that's wide open. Um, I look at trees in nature. I've still got trees I want to go collect for different styles or just just for that fun or, or the passion of it. Um, there, there's so many that, that goes so many different directions. I've part of my life that I've learned how to try to control is that shotgun approach of just blowing everything out. Now I'm kind of focusing on, um, on, on taking care of being more streamlined, looking, focusing better, but I'm still got a shotgun out there. I'm still, and still having to rein it back in. But, um, you know, there's so much more, the, the more you, the more you learn, the more you realize there's a lot more out there you haven't learned yet. Yeah. And it's, that's exciting. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, I always put it down to bring it down to the root of all things. And that's say with bonsai, that's the bonsai pot. That's, that's what you are planting this bonsai in or on. And, you know, it, it, at first, it's just, you know, with bonsai pots, it's a blue pot. Any blue pot works. And then you get into what the size is, what the size is. Then there's, the better you get, the more open it gets to where you're you're really making that tree sing with whatever it's, um, it's vessel to take care of it is. And that seeing is what I'm liking right now. I, I feel like I'm past a certain side where things are more wide open. You know, I've, I've, there's something there that the better you get, the more you realize there's so much more out there to mm -hmm. learn. And, and just the container, just that one thing. But then that goes from there. Then you got every other part of life and bonsai that you can experience. And so why not? Don't slam the door shut. It's just now opening up. The better you get, the bigger the door is. Opens up. It's nice. That's interesting. So you think at this point in your career, you the door is more open than it's ever been. Oh yeah. Oof. It's just now Jeez. Jeez. Dropping bombs on I me. I mean, right just now. remember that seven year old girl laying on the ground looking up at the trees. Just that one thing. That's opened so much up. And besides, I've kind of got the gravel where it feels good. You know, it's sort of like a <laughs> good massage. Yeah, right, right between the shoulder blades. Uh, what, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like uh, the, 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 this, this sort of swell shrink effect, right? You go from being this kid and having this uh, innocent, uh, unfiltered perspective to being a little bit more confined and worrying about being something, making a living, whatever taking care of responsibilities and then coming through that point and then seems like almost opening back up and regaining some of that innocence yeah, or absolutely. lack of constriction is that is that kind of what you're talking about 
It, it is exactly. You're embracing. You feel comfortable enough to embrace that that kid you um, have squelched down, have has control because you you, you know you didn't want to be a kid anymore. Well, um, that that influence of that that, and I've had it happen before. This time I really embraced it. But just that innocence, being able to look at a tree in a slightly naive way as mm-hmm. far as the art of the tree goes and all. I mean, the horticultural skills, hopefully you, you learn them and you don't lose them and you grow with them. But that kid, the, the, the kid of going in and looking at a tree with a different perspective and, and seeing things that you haven't seen before. I mean, you know, being able to turn that tree and see a new front or, or just move it slightly and see a whole new um, design to the line of the tree, the focus is sh- shooting you off to the the container going from just a stylized oval container to a, a piece of wood or, or whatever just changes the influence so much. And you, you get stuck in things as there's a point in life where I was definitely stuck. And, you know, I was so much trying to break that kid mode and get into what I considered what I should be, you know, the, the you know, I don't really want to say the word I would say, but you get stuck. Mm-hmm. And so when you start embracing a little bit, just loosening back up, just embracing what a, the joy of being a kid, seeing the world through a kid's eye, well, that's, that's a lot different. You yeah. know, it's not that pressure that's usually there. So when you go out, you know, every day is a different day in the garden. You, you look at things from different angles. Um, that's why, you know, um, what I always, the one thing I want everybody to learn in bonsai and just stay embraced with it is hand watering. When you're out there watering your trees, that's the, that's the closest you get to really having a conversation with your tree. I mean, you have it every day, every tree you, you talk to as you're watering it. And so, you know, the, 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 I understand why people have automatic watering and so they can actually uh, make the mistake of ever traveling. <laughs> I'm kidding. But that's one thing. I <laughs> yeah, right. do. yeah. Vacations. You can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's where automatic watering will come into play, but it's nothing like going and having a conversation with the tree through, through watering. And, uh, bonding yeah i find that to be i find that to be a, a, a backbone uh, of of the bones i practice watering uh, you just well, never you but, never see a tree like you never see a tree as clearly as when you're watering it yeah yeah and, and who's that good for the tree or you i mean to me it's like that's one of the more comfortable times of my life is going out there and just zoning just for the tree i yeah. mean just just being there for that one tree or actually the whole collection at that point yeah the nursery how many how many trees how many trees do you take care of on 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 your site um do you want me to go count no no i'm just like (laughs) i don't you know it's it's ballpark i mean i you know i don't you know i i don't know Uh a lot of trees you know it, it um, during, um, we call them person hours because, um, you know, my wife and I both take care of them and stuff and out there watering and everything, but you know, there are hours out of every day that that takes place. Um, 
I've only counted trees one time and that's when I moved some of the boxwoods. And so you're carrying two at a time and it became just a game, you know, how many, and it's like, man, you know, there's, there's 1200 of this one size. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it gets, you're a nursery, you know, you're, you're basically a, a nursery and you're like every once in a while laugh at myself and call myself a tree farmer because there's a lot of trees here, but you know, um, everybody always asks me, which is the most, which is your favorite tree, which is, you know, and it's like, wow, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I have no idea what my favorite tree is, but I don't know how many were taken care of. Mm. Some of them, I separate the ones from, um, you've, we've got a nursery situation where we, yeah, we, we, um, overhead water, you know, we've got a well that's, it does most of the work, but I almost have to force myself into walking through that section to, to look at it, to, you know, you've got pruning and all that stuff you do, but it's easy just to forget about it. So the trees that we have sort of the refined trees, I'll call them that, that were hand watering and everything. There's a lot of, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds, I guess, but, um, and I'm not going to go count them. So you, you, you haven't started this ball rolling in my head, but <laughs> there's just a lot of trees and you know, it's, again, that's just enjoyment. They all talk to you. They're, they, they count on you. You count on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I, I just really don't know. Do you get uh do you get a reprieve at any time I mean, in the Pacific Northwest when it starts raining? It's it's I'm just looking out my window and it's it was raining just a minute ago, but it's pretty much wet from October, November through you know April, May. And and for us that's uh f- the act of watering. We're 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 actually actively trying to keep trees dry during that period of time, but that yeah. that intimacy with the tree is really it changes at that season of the year. Uh, and well, yeah. you're, yeah, you, you know, um, if you just are looking at water um, and keeping the tree hydrated, it does change over the, the year. I mean, we'll have our busiest time here is spring. I mean, trees drink water in the spring as they're starting that flush of growth. In the summertime, it's when everybody thinks in Atlanta, we, you know, we get very hot and have dry times of the year but the trees kind of shut down for you during that time so it's actually easier to overwater your trees and than to underwater everybody's concentrating on that but the deal the watering part is just part of our cycle here of care and and so it seems like there's there's really something to be done every day i mean it's you got to go out there and do stuff and it's all different every time of the year is different for us and the 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 biggest deal for me is not um how much we water and stuff but it's how i feel when i'm watering i mean atlanta gets kind of cold and um rainy at the same time during the winter time well it's hard to get it up to go out there and, and do what you need to do even if it's wiring your hands get cold and stuff we don't really have a um climate controlled situation on working on things we um, we're planning on doing that because um, it's changing things. But yeah, as far as care goes, it's constant, but the, the watering fluctuates and you got to um, adjust to it. That's mm-hmm. when somebody goes, and I know you're, 
not asking this, but um, when somebody goes, how many times a day do you water? It's, it's like, <laughs> you've got the wrong approach. It's, you water when the tree needs it. When it needs you know? it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I look at the rest of the country and I think about what bonsai was like in Colorado for the limited amount that I pursued bonsai in Colorado, but then California... Uh, especially Southern California, there's really never any time off from, from bonsai. And I, I value, I value as much as I can't stand the gray and the rain, uh, for prolonged periods of time, which, which it will get old right around February for me. But, uh, with the onset of rain, Troy and I, Troy and I have recognized that we value the the onset of rain because uh because we do get a break and i just um the bonsai practice as a lifestyle for so many people um it it, it, is, it looks so different depending on where you live and 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 there again the environment really does impact your relationship with these natural elements and i find that to be just as beautiful as as the interaction with the tree is the response to the environment being a stimulus yeah. you know well, you um, you opened up a, a door. Your your other question, I misrepresented it. Um, in a sense, my answer was was wrong. There's there's this time of year is is a very comfortable, sort of somewhat easy in the right word, but um, it it changes. You know, you're not out there having to look just as the watering side or or sunlight with burning leaves and and stuff like that. We we bring them in and we're getting ready to do that in the, our area, but we, our trees that have a lot of refinements and age and stuff, we bring them into our house. And when we do that, we clean them up. We bring them in and we do little detail works and detail pruning and they can stay that way without leaves falling on them, without stuff messing the pots up for, for four or five months. It's like, whoa, this is really really cool and that that's the one um the, the one thing that the boxwood does for me is that's when i like to work on them because they stay you're hitting them at a growth period that's fantastic you you come in and that you're able just right now to edit the tree clean leaves up remove leaves and they stay looking like that all the way through until the spring growth but at the same time, they use that time to store their energy. So in spring, they don't pop out with really for boxwoods, for Kingsville's large leaves and stuff like that to try to compensate for what you've taken off. They've kind of gotten used to it. And so then we let them grow for the year and regain their battery. But that fall work, the fact that you can do it and all the trees, um, we, we do that work and they stay clean. They stay looking good. Um, they're they're still up so we can work on them and see them and everything but the 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 hard work of getting out there the drudgery of just going out and having to okay i've got three hours of watering today you know mm -hmm. you're 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 a dairy farmer at that point and now we have show horses we're taking care of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dairy farming with show horses interesting rodney it has been a pleasure, man. I miss you. I haven't seen you in a long time. 
it's been a while. Yeah. It has been a long while, and I and I thought we were going to get you out here multiple times, and we didn't. But this this uh, has been thoroughly uh, in, reinvigorating for me, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us this morning. Oh sure. Um, I know I was looking at my I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking it's almost shoot it's almost because I'm looking at the light in the background behind you and I'm thinking it's almost two o'clock in the afternoon there yeah and this is you know this is a dark part of our house which our house is old cabin it's all dark but uh yes it's beautiful now we're getting a there's a front coming through in a few hours so this was good timing so we're going to get some heavy thunderstorms and, and all that moving through. So Nice. Very, very yeah, nice. Well, I wish you all the best as we kind of continue to work through things, but it sounds to me like you are right where you need to be and right where you want to be, and that is uh, that is really cool. A lot of positivity there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to see your growth, too, because you look like you're, you're um, way ahead of me with um, your – slowing down with what you're doing and, and seeing what you need to be doing. That's, that's the part I was, I was so scattered for so much of my life that, um, uh, um, I'm seeing that in you very mature person. So well, it's I, good to see. I appreciate that. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to continue to try and walk the right path. <laughs> that's all we can do, right? I guess. Yeah. I guess. I'd still want to come out and do, and, you know, I'm not, um, and anyway, I, I was excited about working on those boxwoods and stuff and, and, and just seeing how to do it. Cause really, um, with, with the boxwoods here, it's amazing. The sort of the idea that you've, you're doing it at such a slow rate, you know, it's, it's amazing. I'm trying to do it and keep people's attention during a, a short, like a demo period. Um, it, it's a lot like wiring in a sense the wiring can really um dull people down but it's one of the things that everybody should be there looking at so much you can learn so much from well that picking leaves off is even more of a, a thing you know which leaf you pick off matters but at the same time it's it's hard to um, keep people's attention <laughs> during two hours picking leaves yeah well you know uh, you'd be surprised you would be surprised. We've got two great boxwoods uh, that are both markedly more healthy after having a year to recover and whatnot. And I think uh, when the time is right, we would love to have you out. And I, 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 I hope. Love, perfect. I would perfect. love to do it. Beautiful. Well, we will look forward to that then. Okay. Uh, tell, tell Charlie hello for us. I will. All right. And you two stay well, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Bye, Rodney. Ryan. All right, take care. Bye.